Daniela Wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood and looked one down as far as I could to where it bent in the other undergrowth. Then chose the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that, the passing there had really worn them about the same. And both that morning equally lay, and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages past, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. That's the only poem I remember from high school, (laughs) The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. I remember that poem, even though we read many poems and we tried to memorize numerous poems. I remember that poem because I've been down that road. I imagine we've all been down that road at some point in our lives. We had to make a choice whether to go left or right. Our life is filled with choices, isn't it? And the choices we make today are going to impact our life tomorrow. A couple of Sundays ago, we had our seniors share with us how they're graduating and what they plan to do, where they plan to go to school, what they plan to study, and we're excited for them and the choices they're making today. And soon they'll graduate from college. In four fast years, they'll graduate from college, and hopefully they'll have some job opportunities, and soon they'll have to make some more choices. Like, will I take this job or that job? Will I live in this city or that city? And they may even begin to answer the question, well, who am I going to date? Who might I marry? Life is filled with choices. And these choices prove to be life-altering decisions, don't they? That's the central truth of Robert Frost's famous poem, The Road Not Taken, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Life, life is full of choices. And yet we know that the choice I make today is going to impact my life tomorrow, and so oftentimes we can, we can become anxious about the choices we have to make. We want to make sure we make the right choice, that we make the best choice, that we make the choice that's ultimately going to honor God so that we follow God's will. Well, how are we to know exactly what God would have us do? How are we to know God's will for us today? Mark Laverton, the president of Fuller Seminary, who was here just a few weeks ago, did a wonderful job of helping summarize God's will for us. He told us and made it quite clear that the will of God is clearly communicated to us in Matthew chapter 22. For in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus then quotes the Shema, which we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then Jesus quotes Leviticus 19 and says, And the second most important commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the will of God. Love God, love our neighbor. But as we live our lives seeking to love God and, and love our neighbor, and of course we, <clears throat> we love God, Because God first loved us. And we know God loved us because he sent his one and only son here to this earth who was without sin to pay the price for our sins with his death on a cross so that our sins might be atoned for, so that we might have a right relationship with God if we simply believe in him. Yes, we love God because he loved us. And as we begin to love God, we begin to love the things that God loves, which is our neighbor, right? Love God, love our neighbor. That's the summary of what life is and what God wants for us. But as we go down this road of life, 
seeking to love God and love our neighbor, eventually we'll come at some crossroads. We'll have to make some decisions. Like the seniors are having to decide where to go to college or what to study. Or as they will have to soon have to make decisions on where to work or where to live or, or maybe perhaps who to marry. We're all making decisions at different points in our lives. When should I retire? What should I do in retirement? What should I do for vacation? We all have choices to make. So how can we know what God's will is for us in this life when we come to these crossroads, when we have decisions to make? Well, to discover how we might best discern the will of God, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 6. However, before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit once again to open our hearts and minds at the reading and the preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we know that unless you build the house, the workers labor in vain, that apart from you, we truly can do nothing. So in this time together, O Lord, as we gather around your word, may you give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear, and hearts that might be opened and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 6, it may be found on page 1176 of your pew Bible. Listen to the word of the Lord. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they'd come up to Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Naples. From there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they'd come up to Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. What's going on here? I mean, the Apostle Paul is trying to bring the gospel to Asia, 
But it says the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow him to go there. Then he tries to go to Bithynia to bring the gospel to the Bithynians. But it says the, the Spirit of Jesus would not allow him to go there either. Doesn't God want the Bithynians and the people of Asia to hear the gospel so they too might be saved? What is God doing here? Exactly in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 7. Well, we know from Acts chapter 15 that the Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey, and originally he, he planned to revisit the churches he had visited on his first missionary journey where he'd helped plant churches in the region of Galatia. We've got a map here showing you the, Paul's first missionary journey where he went to cities like Iconium and Lystra and Derbe, and as he was in these cities, he planted churches, and of course, the letter to the Galatians that we studied during Lent and, and preached through during Lent uh, is the letter that was written to these churches, these uh, house churches that he started in these various cities. And so Paul initially intends to go back to these cities on his second missionary journey. And once he's visited these cities, driven by the Great Commission, he goes on his, uh, tries to go to Asia, but the Spirit of the Lord would not allow him to initially go there. He tries to head west, so he tries to head north to Bithynia, but it says that the Spirit of Jesus would not allow him to go there either. And so now the Apostle Paul is in Troas, Wondering, why doesn't God allow me to go to Bithynia or to Asia? Doesn't God want the gospel to be heard in Asia and Bithynia? Doesn't God care about the people in Asia and Bithynia? Well, we know from 1 Peter that God cares a great deal about the people in Bithynia and Asia because Peter addresses his letter in 1 Peter to the elect in Bithynia and Asia. Yes, God cares about the Bithynians and God cares about the people in Asia, But God doesn't want Paul to go to Asia or to Bithynia at this point. God wants the Apostle Paul to go to Macedonia, to Europe, specifically to a city called Philippi, so that he might preach the gospel to a woman named Lydia. If we want to know what God's will is for us, if we want to discern God's will, we need to begin, as the Apostle Paul did, by looking at Scripture, specifically the words of Jesus For Paul was driven to go to Troas and eventually to Philippi because he was driven by the Great Commission that we find in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. The very final words of Jesus before he he ascends to heaven, he tells the disciples in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age." Driven by Scripture, driven by the call of Jesus specifically, Paul traveled to go and bring the good news to others. And this call to disciples, to make, of discipleship, to make disciples has been given to all of us. We've all been commissioned to go and make disciples. And discipleship begins in our own homes at first, does it not? As I've heard many youth ministry workers say, faith is more caught than taught when it comes to young people today. Our children and grandchildren need to see that our faith makes a difference in our own lives today. If we don't offer grace and love in our own homes, then how will our children believe in a God of grace and love that we say we follow? If we never pray with our children, if we never read the scriptures with our children, if we never take our children to worship and worship with them, how can we help build those spiritual disciplines, those habits in their lives so they might grow in their faith someday? Is as we focus on making disciples and fulfilling the Great Commission as the Apostle Paul was driven to make disciples, the Great Commission of Jesus, we begin in our homes, and then we seek to reach out to our community, our neighborhood, our kids' school, our places of work. 
Even within our own church, we seek to use our gifts to make disciples so that we might collectively minister to others in their need. As Paul is on his second missionary journey, we can see that as Paul follows the great commission to go and make disciples, as as he prays, we can see that God opens and closes doors for Paul, does he not? So that he might get Paul exactly where he wants Paul to go. Yes, guided by the words of Scripture and the words of Jesus to go and make disciples, Paul considered preaching the gospel in Asia, but the Holy Spirit said, I don't want you to preach in Asia. Then he thinks about going to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus says, I don't want you to go to Bithynia. And so Paul ends up in Troas, and eventually has a vision of a Macedonian man. Now, Paul was well-trained in the Scriptures, and I want to point out that um, in the gospel, or in Acts 16, Luke is very careful to point out that it's the Holy Spirit who closes the door to Asia. It's the Holy Spirit who closes the door to Bithynia. At no point does Paul think God is not in control of his journey because Paul is living in a surrendered life to God. I'm pretty sure that when Paul was on his journey, he was constantly praying, Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And so he heard the Holy Spirit say, don't go to Asia, don't go to Bithynia, go to Macedonia. That's why I love the text that Rex read just a moment ago that we read in 1 Samuel chapter 3, that wonderful prayer that Samuel prays to the Lord. He says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Let's say that together. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. How might the Holy Spirit speak to us if we were to take time each and every day to pray that simple prayer? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Before our first meeting in the day, before our first class in the day, before our first interaction, if we would just take the time we need to listen to God's call, to listen to His Spirit speaking to us, through Scripture and through those promptings that we feel within our own hearts. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I wonder if we were to take the time that Paul did, praying this prayer, how the Holy Spirit might begin to nudge us to move, to be salt and light in our places of work and in our neighborhood and in our community and within our own schools, listening to God's call, seeing how God might open and close doors along the way. Paul is praying, God, where do you want me to go now that I've visited these churches and 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 he tries to go to Asia, and God says, no, I don't want you to go to Asia. And then he prays about going to Bithynia. He says, I don't want you to go to Bithynia. I want you to go to Macedonia. Because I have a plan for you to bring the gospel to Philippi, specifically to a woman named Lydia. Now, we can see from the book of Acts, chapter 16, that God cares a great deal about women and their ability to contribute to the work of God's kingdom, does he not? I mean, just think about it. God has closed the door for Paul to go to Asia. He's closed the door to Bithynia. He's opened the door for Macedonia, specifically to Philippi. And they get to Philippi, and they can't find any synagogue because there weren't 10 Jewish men in in Philippi to have a synagogue. You, You had to have 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. So there wasn't a synagogue. So they went to the river, and they found women. And specifically, the Lord opened the heart of Lydia to receive the gospel message that Paul was preaching. Because God's plan all along was that Paul would bring the gospel to Lydia. And then Lydia would use her spiritual gift of hospitality to open her home to Paul to help start the first house church in Philippi. One of the things I love about ECO, the new denomination that we have chosen to join, we voted overwhelmingly in October of 2013 uh, to join ECO, uh, is that they have a value, a principal value of an egalitarian approach to ministry. Specifically in their values, they say, we believe in unleashing the ministry gifts of women, men, and every ethnic group. As I think of the various women in our church who serve as Sunday school teachers, who serve as deacons, who serve as elders, I can see that God is using them in an amazing way to do the work of God's kingdom. As we look at the, the ministry of Jesus, we can see that he too used women. 
In fact, the very first person to proclaim the gospel that Jesus had risen was Mary. It wasn't Peter or John. Yes, God, in his divine economy, wants to use men and women to do the work of his kingdom. And notice the language of verse 10 of our text that we read, Luke 10, or Acts 16, verse 10. Luke writes this, And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. In Acts 16, Luke moves from the third-person plural to the first-person plural. It's the first time in, in helping us see that Luke is now on the journey with Paul and in, in, uh, going to join them in Troas and travel to Philippi. In fact, Luke was a doctor. Philippians, uh, Philippi was known for training doctors, and so Luke probably had some experience there. Yes, it goes from the, the third-person plural to the first-person plural. And it's notice that it says that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. It was Paul who had that initial vision of the Macedonian man. But Paul doesn't go by himself to Macedonia. No, he takes that vision and he shares that vision with Luke and Silas and Timothy and those who are with him. And they decided that God is calling us to go to Macedonia. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, you begin with Scripture, the calls of Jesus, specifically the words of Jesus. As you seek to follow the words of Jesus, then you pray that God might open and close doors according to his will. And then you might pray that God might give you a vision. As God gives you a vision, a a Holy Spirit prompting to do or act in a certain way, you should confirm that vision with other fellow believers, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who can just help you discern together what is God's call for you, what road you should take, what ministry you should begin. Today, I want to interview one of our church members, Dr. Alan Keister, who has heard God's call to start a new ministry called Heal the City, uh, which is in uh, San Jacinto. And it's a great ministry. I just want you to hear about how God has called him to begin this and how God is using it to help minister our community. So, Alan, tell us about Heal the City. Where is it? And how did you get the sense of God's call to do that? Well, thanks. So, Heal the City is a free clinic that we started about nine months ago over in the heart of San Jacinto at 6th and Tennessee um, on the Generation Next Church campus. And um, it's been a real uh, faith journey, honestly. But... um, what, what we seek to do over there is provide care for the uninsured patients here in um, our community. Our goal is to try and keep them out of the emergency room and meet their urgent care needs and then plug them into um, existing medical resources that are here um, in Amarillo. And so uh, through that, we hope to um, show them dignity and respect in the way that they receive care and just to communicate the love of Christ to um, the patients and the volunteers alike. And how did you discern that God was calling you to help start this? How did that all come together? Yeah, so for a number of years, I've been traveling down to Central America doing medical missions and um, spent a lot of time in Honduras and actually at one point thought that may be where God wanted me to be. Um, When I ran that past my family, they weren't that thrilled about moving to a third world country. But um, So so the community did not confirm you on that? There wasn't a confirmation, but um, spent a lot of time meeting with, um, a brother in Christ. So we would have lunch together and started asking this question, you know, what if God is calling us to do something bigger? Well, God called him to Taiwan. He moved his family to Taiwan. They're missionaries there now, but God opened doors for me here in Amarillo. And, um, I could speak for hours about how God did that, but, but really it was just a confirmation of, of doors opening and us just walking through them. And, um, I really believe it's, it's, given us an opportunity to serve, um, as, as Jesus speaks of the, of the least of these in Matthew 25 and, and, and that heal the cities there for such a time as this. So, Praise God. Thank uh, you. So how can we as members of First Press help you with heal the city? 
Well, let me just say this. Thank you. First Pres is already helping. So um, a lot of you have already volunteered over there, and I must say thank you for what you've done. Um, so we, we love to have medical volunteers. So if you're a physician, if you're a nurse practitioner, a nurse, we need you. But if you don't have any medical skills, we still need you. So we have um, every week we have people that, that greet. We um, have people that have clerical skills that help um, check in on the computer and things. Um, we, we need prayer warriors. Uh, we have a lot of Spanish-speaking people. So if you speak Spanish, we need translators. Um, if you're a good cook, uh, we need food because um, the volunteers all come straight from work over there. So um, several of the First Pres community have, have cooked for us, and that's a real blessing um, and a way to participate and uh, connect. Great. Thank you, Alan. Yeah. Praise God. Thank, Thank you for his ministry. Amen. Alan, of course, is a doctor, and as he saw his occupational training, he realized there was an opportunity for him to use his occupational training to do the work of God's kingdom. How might God use you as a teacher, or as a lawyer, or as a dentist, or as an orthodontist, or as a construction worker? How might God use you in your training to do the work of God's kingdom? If you're not exactly sure how God might use you to use your training, you might begin to pray Saying, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. That simple prayer. And then guided by the Holy Spirit, as God begins to give you a vision, maybe a prompting within your heart of something you want to care about, something you want to help with, as you begin to try to go through an open door, you you should confirm that vision with the body of Christ. As Alan checked with his wife and kids, hey, what about Honduras? They're like, no, not Honduras. (laughs) Clearly the community was not 